Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Momentum for a rally and whether the Fed is likely to send stocks surging into the end of the year or kill whatever chances there are of Santa Claus making an appearance. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Steve Weiss, Liz Young, Joe Terranova. You see them here at the desk. Let's check the markets. We're just past 12 noon in the east. we got a pretty good day going, too. Dow's good for about 278. There it is, S&P a half percent. 358, the yield on the 10-year note. Liz Young, CPI is everything tomorrow. And the Fed is everything on Wednesday. What do you see this week? I think it's tomorrow more than Wednesday. So your opening comment was, does the Fed send us, catapult us into a rally towards the end of the year? If there's anything that keeps a rally going into the end of the year, it's CPI tomorrow. I am not incredibly hopeful that it's going to come in all that exciting. Is that, in because the sense of, of, is that because of the PPI last week? Because of the PPI, because of wage growth, because some of the estimates were revised upward. So I'm not all that optimistic that it's going to surprise us that much to the downside. But you have to think about it this way. If you are hoping for a rally, if you're betting on a rally into the end of the year and into next year, and if you're one of those who doesn't believe that we have another drop in the market, you must be betting on multiple expansion because you have to assume that earnings are either at least going to stay flat, if not come down further. So you must believe that multiples are going to expand. I find that very hard to believe in this environment when we have a forward PE at 17.2 times, which is right at the 10-year average. But over that 10-year period, we had a 10-year treasury at 2.1%. And we spent five of those years at zero rates. So it just doesn't make sense to me that we stay at 17.2 times forward earnings or even go higher than that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to say it 17 times, according to Oppenheimer, Joe, who has 4,400 as the price target for next year. They see a multiple of 19 times. So they up up from 17, 230 is the earnings call there. They don't see things being nearly as bad, but we'll get to 2023 in just a moment. Let's stay on uh, the here and now. All right. All that looms ahead here. CPI. The Fed, they likely to send us higher or crush our hopes? Liz, Liz is totally right. It's all about CPI. <clears throat> and it's all about the, the ability tomorrow for, let's replace the word momentum, which can bring us higher. Now let's insert the word sentiment and positioning. Well, and both why are do terrible. I say that? Exactly. So that's the exact reasoning why if we're going to have a rally off of the CPI tomorrow, it's going to be built upon what we washed away over the last week, which was we washed away a little bit of bullish sentiment. We washed away a degree of bullish positioning. And I think right now it's reflected. If you, if you look at the VIX, which is 6% higher today, the VIX right now at 24, what that's signaling is that there is, in fact, in the option market, some call buying, which is lifting uh, the, the VIX higher. And you, that call buying is, is being put in place because there is 
this belief that potentially tomorrow you can get a surprise to the upside for CPI. So I, I, I think those are the two critical words for CPI tomorrow. I think it's all about shelter and what are the shelter costs. We know that gas is going to be lower. We know that rental cars and uh, health services are going to be lower. Tell me what shelter is going to be, and I'll be able to tell you what we're going to get from CPI. All right. Uh, Bryn, Tom Lee, reasons to see upside in the next few weeks. He sees several of those as he is articulated both on television and through his notes of late. We think there remains fundamental momentum to the idea that inflation is falling faster than expected. You also have the New York Fed one-year inflation expectations falling by the most on record. It seems clearly inflation is going in the right direction. Stocks have not, for the most part, been going in the right direction. After a nice bump from the mid-October lows, we've sort of stalled out. Do we get things going again for the next couple weeks this week? Well, I think I think Tom's narrative around I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I read his report this morning is that we get a CPI report month over month at 0.3 or lower. And why that's important is last month for October's reading month over month was 0.4. And so his sense is like you get a break. And so all of a sudden we have two months where CPI is coming down. And then to go back to Jay Powell, he's like, we need to see multiple months. The problem I have with that is the Cleveland Fed has their own CPI, you know, now cast. And as of December 9th, they're predicting 0.47 tomorrow, and that's as of the 9th. And so that would actually see a tick up from the month before. And so if you're trading today for a huge pop because we're going to be below that 0.4, I'm going to go with the Cleveland Fed and say we come up above that. Because once again, to Joe's point, I think housing is still just going to be sticky, even though rents are coming down, et cetera. We all have talked about that. And so I think investors are going to continue to be frustrated as everyone's trying to say, when is the Fed, when is inflation finally going to come down? It's just going to take time. And so I think stay the course. The trades that have worked this year, I think, continue to work for the next few months. But why and vice Shami, versa. The trades yeah. that don't work are going to continue not to work. Why, yeah. Shami, you, you are playing for a year-end rally. I mean, you, you kind of have been, even though you've been negative and right. But we still have work to do, according to Piper Sandler, who says you need to take retake 4,000. So you got like 50 points, 46 points away from that. You need to get over the 200-day moving average of 40.37. So you got a lot of work to do uh, to reignite hopes of a holiday rally in, into the end of the year. You feel like we can get to the point... If we can get through a reasonably benign CPI tomorrow, that we can put something together here? Because I, I know a lot of people are hoping that we are, but Joe said positioning and, and sentiment are horrible. You know, I was playing for year in rally, but as I said on Friday, it's getting very late, very early, and I'm skeptical about a rally, and my positioning reflects that. My positioning is as low as it's been all year. You're making Joe's point. case. And making Scott, Joe's case. You know, right? and Scott, no, I'm not making Joe's case That's because yeah, CPI. Are. From a positioning Powell, standpoint, you are. In sentiment, you are. Everybody's negative. Okay. Everybody's not negative. Every strategist you're talking about is fairly positive. Tom Lee, the Every? Uber bull, is just stating the obvious to put out another note. Pretty much. Every? Pretty much. Everybody comes on there and says, here's what I'm buying, Scott. Here's what I'm buying. I like this. I'm going to hide here. We've even had the most ludicrous of all comments of people coming on the show and saying, I'm buying industrials because they're going to do well. Industrial is one of the worst performing groups in an economic downturn. They're an early cycle stock. So I'm going to make a pitch. My pitch is forget the short-termism. 
take a look intermediate, take a look longer term. And you know what that look is? It's negative. Okay, because we've got the full force of the Fed that's coming in and they're crushing the economy. And so you've got a ludicrous analyst with 19 times next year's earnings. Come on, give me a break. That's a premium to the last 50 years. That's not going to happen. I see a lot Multiples are going to come down. The markets come down. I see a lot of people, Weiss, who are negative, who think that the first half of 23 is going to stink. And then the market yep. has a real chance to do something special in the second half of next year. And you've even agreed with that point of view. So what are you talking about? You've agreed with I that I do, but it's positive. They're saying, Scott, let, let me finish, okay? Scott, here's what they're saying. They're saying, yeah, the short terms, you know, it's going to be kind of punk. But if you look out, it's going to be great. So position now and get, take advantage of them. Don't try to time the market when, in fact, they're the ones timing the market. They're the ones saying buy it here because if they thought that the market was going down another 20 percent, which I believe it very possibly could, who in their right mind would buy anything now thinking they can get a 20 percent cheaper? OK, you don't pick the bottom. You can get a 10 percent cheaper. That's real performance. As a matter of fact, that's above average performance for an enduring market. So don't tell me they're bearish. They couch that bearishness because they're sitting with their butts firmly on the top of the fence saying, I don't want to be wrong. So the people reading my work in case the markets go down, I don't want to be wrong in case the markets go up. What I'm telling you unequivocally is the markets are going to go down because earnings are going to go down. Okay. You see how easy it is to get him worked <laughs> oh, up. Oh, you could fire him up. But I don't right. think, he, uh, Steve, I'm sorry. I, don't I think love I, it. <laughs> Keep it coming, Scott. Scott, See, keep it coming. I can Come read on. you like a this book, is but I don't think that's a unique perspective. I, I, I think that from a positioning standpoint, not predicting or forecasting where the market's going to be. I think it, when you when you study the internals of the market, right, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, those blue chip type of stocks, those are the stocks right now that have the resiliency. That's because everyone's allocating in that direction. Who's coming on the network and saying? Go buy the ARC stocks or, or go buy emerging software. Weiss is right, though. Everybody is coming on, it feels like, and talking about cyclicals and industrials. That I agree. That I, component of it, I do agree with. There is that element to it, and I've been suspicious of that all along. So I'm with Steve on that one. But I think over, I mean, look at what every Wall Street CEO came out and told us last week. 19 not times confident. 19 times forward earnings. Well, they get paid to worry. What do you expect Period. them to say, though? Everything's great. You get paid to be Hurricane Jamie, right? You get paid to be cautious in this sort of environment. Would you, you expect them to come out at these sell-side conferences and say everything's great, the sky's blue, and I see you um, know, blue skies ahead for, the, for 2023? Okay, I, 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 could, I could understand the Jay, perspective Jay, of Jamie Dimon, but not so much the perspective of David Solomon. That one was a little puzzling. So, as I mentioned, you had the New York Fed, one-year expectations for inflation fall by the most on record. We have our own survey. Steve Leisman joining us now, our senior economics reporters. We game out what's going to happen this week. I mean, we feel like we know what's going to happen. It's all a matter of what is said that matters most. So the survey, Steve, inflation is peaked, recession likely, slight chance of soft landing. The most important question, I think, for our viewers is how you frame the question is the worst priced in, because your findings there were quite interesting, weren't they? Yeah, they went a little sideways, Scott, and it, it, it gets your attention when you see them marking down the outlook, marking down the outlook, and suddenly they go sideways. And I, I think that was an interesting development here. They're not predicting much worse when it comes to the 10-year. They're not predicting much worse when it comes to the S&P. In fact, they're looking for a 12% gain next, next year, apropos of the discussion, though I don't think anybody in my survey was as angry as Weiss is, I must <laughs> 
point out there. <laughs> That's like a base, um, base case, Steve. You we, could say that every time. Steve, yeah, Steve that's we right. all so, have a role to uh, and play, there's that six, okay? I know, I know, I know. And mine is, I guess, to kind of make fun of you maybe sometimes. But anyway, um, you see that 61% uh, chance of a recession. What is interesting, Scott, you did point out there is a contingent in there. We reported this story a week ago. The Journal has a story today. There's this 25, 30% contingent out there that says, hey, maybe the Fed gets this right. Uh, and maybe we don't have a recession. Most people, two-thirds, looking for that recession, think the Fed's tightens too much and punches into it. But there's that uh, higher group, a bigger group of people right now uh, that, that does think there's a soft landing, perhaps, on the way. The other chart you have, and throw that up again, is the, the one where you talk about the levels for stocks, right? And that, that goes to the question of when you say sideways, where the respondents actually see the market going and it, it's not the most dire yeah. picture that we've ever seen or what the landscape might suggest that it would be. Uh, Scott, I have to apologize. I'm not sure we loaded that chart in the uh, system there, but I can get you the numbers right. right here, which yeah, are the numbers. fairly interesting. And what we the numbers are uh, uh, about four thousand in the year and 4,400 by the end of next year. So that's about a 12% of the boost from where we closed on Friday, according to my calculations. More As interesting, Scott, 360 on the 10-year by the end of next year. So the damage is, is, is done and priced in. That's according to this group. You never know what the stock market uh, knows right now um, and, and what it's already priced in, but that's their belief that they have, um, and worth pointing out, another 75 basis points of rate hikes built in. This group is a little more aggressive than the market is, while the peak rate in the market right now is about five. These guys are about 515, so maybe another quarter uh, built in for, for a group, for part of that group there. Um, a little more aggressive. They also see the recession. Uh, they pushed it ahead, Scott, the, mm -hmm. uh, from the first and second quarter, the second and third quarter of next year. See, Liz, if I would have told you that the respondents say 4,400 in the S&P by the end of next year, would you be surprised? Not at all. By that answer? No, because, because my base case is that we do have a recession. It's hard for me to see us not having a recession at this point, and I think it's actually worse to sit here in this purgatory wondering if we will and if we won't. Let's just get it over with. Let's confirm it. And if it happens earlier rather than later, then there's actually quite a bit of market upside. That's better for the market if we just get it done. It's all about when it might happen, though. And, and we know that the market likely sniffs hey, that Liz, out before the recession Liz, actually occurs. Liz? Yes. Liz, can I throw a little rain on that little parade yeah. there, which <laughs> I guess is another one of the roles that I play here, um, is that we also asked folks, are, what's the Fed going to do if inflation is high? They're still high and we have a moderate recession. And they said the Fed won't cut rates. I said, we asked what the fiscal side would do, what Congress would do. And they say no new unemployment benefits, no additional spending. So if inflation remains high and we do have a recession, this will be a different recession from the past several ones where you cannot look to the Fed for help. That should be factored into the outlook, I would suggest. What's the Congress going to do? They're going to call for the Fed chair's head. That's what they're going to do if inflation remains that high. You're going to start that narrative, too. And I'm not even really joking about that. That's um, not a bad point. As no, you, that's as you get, true. As you get yeah. closer to 24 and the election, that's going to be, I think, a more dominant narrative, potentially, that the market's also going to have to potentially come to grips with as, as you get closer there. Steve, lastly, before I let you go, um, you're not, are you expecting any surprises at all? 
this week from the Fed chair. Um, Where is he going to go, you think, in terms of, you know, specificity perhaps on whether they are going to sort of take a seat and see what happens? You know, I think the, the big story is going to be the, the um, uh, guidance that we get down the road. Uh, last time the big story, Scott, you remember, was this somewhat dovish statement and a much more hawkish Fed chair. I, I want to know if Powell thinks we're in what he used to call a good place. When it, remember he used to say that? We're in a good place. We're in a good place. I want to know if Powell thinks we're in a good place. And that means two things. Are we in a good place now with the current level of rates? and a good place now with where markets think the Fed is headed. And when I see that 5% number in the futures market, I see 515 in my survey, I think Powell's going to be okay with that right here, as long as they think that the Fed's going to remain there as, as, so long as inflation is high, then I think Powell's going to think that the market is in a good place relative to his thinking. And so in that regard, I do not expect there was a surprise. All right, good stuff, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. That's Steve Leisman, our sure. senior economics uh, reporter, as you know. And by the way, Bryn, some think that folks are just too obsessed at this point about inflation and the Fed anyway, mm-hmm. like Mike Wilson, right, who says it's yesterday's news. Focus on earnings risk. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end of the story. Where earnings come in, and maybe, you know, obviously what multiple you want to throw on that, that's a whole game in town. Because you're not going to know what stock prices should be until you see what earnings are. And if they're worse than people think, we've got a lot of problems. And if they're better, then we can have a different kind of conversation. Yeah, well, I don't think you can ignore the Fed. The Fed has been the visible hand in the market for well, well over a decade. And, you know, I've been saying don't fight the Fed all year. So maybe we're tired of talking about the Fed. Maybe we're tired of talking about inflation. But it is not yesterday's story even remotely. That is front and center. And the Fed liquidity and what the Fed does and their messaging sets the tone for everything. We won't know anything about earnings until late, mid to late January. So that to me is a 100 years from now. And so I think when you talk about positioning and the market, I think earnings People are all over the map on this earnings recession that we may or may not have. I think it's going to be very specific with an industry. I mean, you're already seeing that potentially there's a recession in technology in Silicon Valley, right? They're already doing layoffs. They're already cutting growth. They're already cutting guidance. But so many other industries are still doing very well. And so I could easily see this bifurcated environment where tech companies are in a, quote, recession, while other companies are just navigating and have more levers. Um, I also think talking about a recession, to me, what I can't get my arms around is we're still such short workers. And so I feel like wage growth is still going to be strong. And so, like, how do you have a really deep recession when we have this high wage growth and we're still short so many workers, X technology? Yeah. Joe, I'll tell you who cares about the Fed and inflation and oil traders. The commodities markets do. Uh, oil right now, crude is below 73 bucks. Had a nice lift today by better than 2%. Um, but h- how do we see this playing out? And for those who have a lot of energy exposure, like a lot of people who come on this program seemingly do, like most of you guys have a fair amount because that's been a place to be. Is it still going to be a place to be? I, I think it's a place that you still have to be. By the way, natural gas up 9%. It's up 56 cents well, right now some, as we speak. Some snow around parts of the well, U.S. Okay, will do that, that. Right. And that's the sensitivity and that's the concern surrounding supply. I think it's a place you have to be from the perspective of your allocation doesn't need to be 
really that significant. You could 5 to 10 percent, and I've said on air right now, uh, the quality momentum strategy in the Joti ETF is sitting a little bit below 10 percent for energy exposure. But I think you have to think of it almost as an alternative equity strategy within the market. People want alternatives right now. Mm-hmm. And I think energy is providing that. And I also think there is the commitment, as we've spoken, about the balance sheet. And that's what the C-suite for these energy companies are focused on, not increasing production, but taking the incremental dollar and putting it back into the balance sheet and to the shareholder. Hey, Weiss, interesting from Jonathan Krinsky of BTIG on this very topic. He points to precious metals breaking out versus commodities versus bonds and even stocks. But we don't give a lot of due on this show to precious metals, and maybe we should. Well, well, we should now because they're, they're working. Um, but it's a relatively small asset class to invest in, and they can be all things to all people. They're inflation hedge, or they're better than inflation, or they're, they're, they de-risk your portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that really is for speculators. It's not for investors. And uh, I just, I wouldn't go there. I go there occasionally, but it's nothing I would recommend the average viewer do. But Scott, if I get, I just want to reshape. Now that I've calmed down, that just stop getting into my skin <laughs> well, for about 30 seconds. Why should go all the way back to the beginning of the program like you so deftly do at times? Uh, no, I'm not going way back, Scott. I'm, I'm not going, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going way back, but stay with me for one second. All right, I'm hurry going up. To, I'm going to stretch your, I'm going to stretch your, your attention, attention span. So you're stretching the Here, commercial here's the time. Debate. Let's debate, go. Okay, the debate is not if we're, if we're going to be in a recession. The debate is, are we going, are we slowing? Markets trade in direction, earnings will come down. That's all you have to know. You don't have to bet soft landing, hard landing. That's it. Just bet they're going down and you'll get to the right spot. Okay. Thank I, you for your patience. Uh, it's my pleasure, Steve. I should also let you know before okay. I go, uh, Mark Fisher, by the way, famed oil trader, commodities trader, really. MBF Clearing CEO is going to be on with us today in OT, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. Don't miss that for the very latest on where this market's going. Coming up next here, Apple, price target cut today. What do you do with beaten up tech? We discuss that next with some ideas from a top analyst as well. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, tech stocks among the top performers today. The sector, though, is still down nearly 25% this year. And despite that underperformance, the street is out with a number of bullish calls on the space. It seems like that happens almost every day. There are bullish calls, and then there are bullish calls. Dan Ives, Liz Young, Wedbush. 
Expect a choppy yet bullish tech tape in 23. Here's where it gets really interesting. We believe the overall tech sector will be up roughly 20 percent in 2023 from current levels with big tech software and semis leading the charge despite the macro and Fed wild cards abound. Could have easily gone to Weiss. But could you imagine what he would have said about Dan Ives We'd if I did that? Out of here. And since Dan's going to be on overtime today, I want to give Weiss a few minutes to think about what he's going to say. So I go to Liz first. 20% in 2023? Well, I love Dan. Uh, I actually just had Dan on my podcast. That's all right. A similar case. Here's the thing. We could still savage that, Dan's view if you don't that, believe it. No, I'm not going to slam him. But he talked about wild cards abounding. I think there can't be any wild cards in that scenario. That would have to come about after a recession, after inflation has been taken care of, and there is a Fed pivot or maybe even cuts. I don't see how we'd have that much upside in tech unless we're cutting rates and everything is coming back down to earth from an interest rate perspective and a policy rate perspective. Joe, I mean, it's, it's hard to put the macro and the Fed as quote unquote wild cards. They're the game. The performance of the tech trade matters most on where rates go, what inflation does, and what the economy does, right? That's why people think that it's out of favor now and why there's been such a movement towards value stocks. Is this going to turn around to the degree that he thinks it will 20% in 2023? Then we can get some specific names, but that's a big call. If, if the Fed is going to pause, then the ability for that to occur is there. If the Fed is going to have to have this fight in 2023, against inflation, then technology front and center will be the one sector in which you'll see further multiple contraction and you'll see the pressure on earnings. And you will not see the expected earnings growth that's being talked about right now from a lot of the investment banking and research. This call is basically, I'm going to say that I read it as don't believe the value hype because it's hype. And it it's outperforming now, and everybody wants to say it's going to continue to outperform. It's having its big moment, and, and growth is going to fall to the wayside. This, this is a call that says don't believe the hype, that it's going to revert right back to what's got you here in the first place when the market starts to work back towards what are hopefully higher levels later on next year. And it's well, going to do it with growth, not value. Well, I, I agree with th- that growth as a strategy is not going away. I mean, with, without a question, the highest sensitivity, the strategy that has the highest sensitivity to a Fed sitting on their hands is growth. It's the type of growth that you want to own. Do you want to own the non-profitable areas of growth? No, I don't think you do. Do you want to own the profitable areas of growth in software like in Adobe or in the semis in Texas Instruments or microchip? Well, he says you want to own Microsoft and Salesforce. Those are his favorite cloud names. I mean, if we're talking software. Check the box on that. I agree. I like that. Fed sitting on their hands. Salesforce? Oh, if Fed sits on their hands, Salesforce. Yes. If the Fed sits on their hands. Yes. Why is it all relative to what the Fed's doing? Because Salesforce. There is the correlation that's been consistent. It's been clear. It's been in place. It's affected technology as a sector. And it's obviously impacted Salesforce. Favorite overall tech name, um, Bryn, is Apple. I mean, it's not a shock, right? Ives is a huge Apple bull, which I'm sure he will tell me 10 times in in overtime today. But is that the favorite overall tech name of yours? I I would put, if I had to put the big tech, the big four, if I say Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, I would pick Microsoft, number one. I would put Apple, number two, if I have to pick out of those four. 
I mean, I think I will say with Apple, I mean, Tim Cook will go down, I think, as one of the most legendary CEO slash statesmen. I mean, he's just done an incredible him and his team navigating so many macro headwinds. Microsoft as well, Satya Nadella, I think, is, is legendary as well. So I love both CEOs and how they're able to execute. And that has been so important. I do think, though, we are late stage. And as we continue to slow, enterprise software, which, which, is, which will be you know, partially Microsoft, could be under pressure. And then Apple obviously is having an issue right now at Foxconn getting enough phones in. So I think it's going to come down to what multiple the market wants to pay for these two iconic companies. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. It's like, what multiple will people pay with the growth they expect? Mm -hmm. And so I don't think either company has to have like a 12 PE. I just think that the market has to recalibrate and feel confidence that they're going to grow through. But I do think big tech is the trade after the trade. Wait for the slowdown, and then that's going to be your buy signal right. to go back into these names. Interesting way of putting it, the trade after the trade. Weiss, I think you sold Apple not that long ago. The price target cut that we referenced in the yep. intro comes from Oppenheimer today to 170 from 190. Yeah, look, I think Apple, I think tech will lead in the second half. And we back to, yes, what got us there. It'll be rocking between. I think the biggest cautionary note that was sounded today, actually, was Microsoft's investment in London Stock Exchange. They didn't do that because they want to be invested in a stock exchange. They did that because the cost of admission, the cost of buying a cloud contract has gone up exponentially. So what London Stock Exchange did was brilliant. They said, sure, you put a meaningless 4% investment into us, meaningless because you don't control anything, and we'll give you our cloud contract. Think about that. That becomes very expensive, and you question, when are you going to make money? So what they're telling you, basically, is that cloud still grown like a weed, 35% or whatever, 40%, two quarters ago, 35% last quarter. It's got to be slowing down more than we had thought if now you've got to put capital up to get a contract and work the accounting game. So, look, they look cheap, but yet Qualcomm downgraded today. Look pretty cheap to me. Any stock, any large cap tech stock you want to buy, Three months ago, you said, I can't get it cheaper. You got it a lot cheaper. And I think that'll be true for the next six months. All right, let's get the headlines now with Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa. Hi there, Scott. Russian attacks are continuing in Ukraine, and the fighting is most intense in the eastern and southern parts of the country. We're getting reports of strikes and explosions near the front line in Donetsk, and Ukrainian officials say the recently liberated city of Kyrgyzstan has come under massive fire. Russian forces keep bombarding that city, even though they retreated there last month. Iran has executed a prisoner who had been detained during nationwide protests. The accused was tried and convicted in less than a month after allegedly stabbing two members of Iran's security forces. This is the second execution of its kind that we know of, but activists insist at least a dozen people have been sentenced to death in closed-door hearings. And the operator of the Keystone Pipeline system says crews have now contained a major leak. A failure in the pipeline spilled an estimated 14,000 barrels of crude oil into a waterway in Kansas last week. The affected section of the pipe has been closed, and the EPA says no drinking water has been affected. Halftime returns right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of the Halftime Report. I'm Dominic Chu. Beneath the veneer of lighter trading volumes brought on by, of all things, the World Cup, maybe the holiday season, and ample confusion over 2023, there's plenty of movement bubbling underneath the surface of markets. We've seen heavy activity as well as inflows into key segments of the ETF market that have bucked the trading slowdown trends, including ETFs tied to China and the emerging markets, also single-stock ETFs, that allow investors to make either leveraged or inverse bets on big cap technology names like Tesla. So joining us now is Tom Lydon, the vice chairman of Vetify, and Will Ryan, the founder and CEO of Granite Shares. Tom, let's first of all talk to us about some of these hot trends in the ETF business. What are the strongest themes as we close out the year in 2022 and gear up for an uncertain 2023? Well, I I think you have to look to China. As you mentioned, Dom, the government is on a mission. Uh, not only are they supporting real estate in a big way, relaxing Chinese uh, uh, protocols regarding uh, coronavirus, which is really, really important for the economy. We're also seeing ca- casino traffic back at, at record levels we haven't seen in a long time. You got companies like Matthews Asia that are diving into the ETF space for the first time. They are seeing valuations more favorable than they've seen in decades. Generational buying opportunities, they're calling them. So I think these are going to be one of the darlings as we look at 2023. And then the fixed income market. We saw negative uh, flows in the first more months of the year. But most recently, as the Fed has done a pretty good job about uh, being transparent on their flight plan, and also the first time in 40 years where we've seen negative bonds and stock returns, you're seeing this tax loss harvesting thing really gearing up in a big, big way as people are selling fixed income mutual funds and actually buying fixed income ETFs as they're more comfortable with kind of the path of fixed income down the road. So almost $600 billion we're going to see in new flows for the year. All right, Will, you yourself are rolling out a new suite of single stock ETFs tomorrow. Why is now the time and why have single stock products like these ETFs gained so much traction in 2022? Well, I think it's what you said in the preamble there, that these products have attracted a lot of trading volume. They're very popular with investors looking to take leveraged bets, amplified um, bets on different companies. And so this is the first uh, exposures that we're going to see in the market to companies like Meta, companies like NVIDIA, um, and also Alibaba. And as Tom said, we think that China is going to be a big theme. China is an important market. And so having exposure via something like Alibaba would be a good proxy uh, for investors looking for those magnified exposures. But ultimately, the ETF markets evolved over the years. People are looking for more concentrated exposures, you know, different types of exposure other than, as Tom was saying, your broad-based 
equity or fixed income exposures that just haven't worked this year. All right. Will, Tom, thanks both very much for that. We'll have plenty more on the heavy volume trends, including single stock ETFs coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern time, plus a deep dive into the convoluted picture for commodities as we factor in a number of conflicting cross currents both here and in the U.S. and abroad. That's all ahead on ETFedge.CNBC.com. Keep it right here. Halftime Report returns after this commercial break. I got a nice little gain going, as you saw that today, and it is time now for Grade My Trade. First up, we have a video trade that Bryn is going to grade, so listen up. Hello, Halftime. My name is Richard Kay from New Jersey. I wanted to ask you a question. In recent weeks, I sold common stock equal to half my equity exposure, specifically Adobe, Broadcom, BlackRock, Emerson Electric, Google, and Procter Gamble. With that money, I bought JEPI and JEPQ in a three-to-one ratio. Thanks for the chance to have you grade my trade. Thank you, Richard, for the question. Bryn, for obvious reasons, we're going to have you do it. You own the JEPI, the JEPI as we call it, and the JEPQ. What do you think about this specific trade? Yeah, Richard, uh, nice job. Obviously, asset allocation is personal. I like your three to one ratio. That's about in line with how we have those two sized. Both of those sell out of the money calls and with volatility elevated this year, they are both they are generating 14 and 20 percent call premium respectively. And so looking into next year, if we have a sideways um, yet volatile market where capital appreciation is harder to come by. I think these strategies continue to deliver. So I like your rationale and I like your weighting. So I'm going to give you an A. Oh, good stuff. All right. Uh, thank you again, Richard in New Jersey. Dempsey says, quote, I waited and waited on the buy, but then I bought Estee Lauder in the after hour session on November 2nd, 2022 at $184 on a violent earnings reaction. I want you to do it, Joe, because you own Ulta in the Joe T. But what do you think about EL grading this trade? So Dempsey gets what Stephen Weiss never got in school, an A+. Plus. <laughs> Friends? This, this is... <laughs> This is this is that's a good this is an A plus invited to the best parties. What (laughs) on November 3rd, the day session low was 186.47. So Dempsey in the afternoon hours on November 2nd buys this stock below the regular session low. Um, This is this is a great trade. This is, you know, 25, 30 percent on the upside. Yes. Ulta Beauty is where. We're positioned in Joe T. A little bit of a different geographical revenue split. Estee Lauder is only 19% in the U.S., while Ulta is 100%. Ulta is a little bit cheaper. Estee Lauder a little richer in valuation. But this is a, this is a great trade. A+. Plus. Okay, good stuff. Uh, again, thank you, Richard, and thank you, Dempsey. And keep your trades coming in. You can reach us via email, askhalftime at cnbc.com, or, of course, on Twitter. And we're going to continue to grade them with the investment committee. Up next, Mike Santoli has his midday word. We're back right after this. (music) 
Welcome back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joining us now from the Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. What's on your mind today ahead of a couple of big days? Yeah, Scott, it makes sense that the market will kind of pull itself neutral ahead of uh, the CPI tomorrow. Big question being whether the number can change the Fed's, you know, forward estimate of, of where rates go to, right? So can the CPI one report coming tomorrow really alter the dots uh, that we're going to get the next day? That's the main equation right now. And I think uh, market has almost been uh, kind of frustratingly indecisive here. The leadership hasn't looked great if you're wanting to kind of get a sense of economic strength underlying it. You know, banks are bouncing, but really had a, a rough go. Oil's not doing that well. On the other hand, still holding uh, in this range. So it is tough to make these declarations uh, ex- of exactly what the market is expecting here. But you do see uh, indications of volatility kind of br- bracing for the potential for it being one of the last news catalyst driven uh, or data driven moves we get this year. And we, we, we weathered the PPI storm pretty well. Remember, started yep. out bad, finished not so bad at all. Uh, and I wonder, you know, whether you could have a similar situation with the CPI, you know, if it comes out to be a, a surprise to the negative side. But sure. everything really kind of hinges to me on what Powell says on Wednesday afternoon. Right. And, it, you know, the number has to be enough different from expectations to really upend the broad sense out there that obviously inflation has peaked and it's declining at some pace. Uh, unless something really complicates that uh, that picture, I don't think it's decisive. I think one of the things that's keeping the market in check, too, in both directions, is the fact that that no one number and even no one Fed meeting is going to be that final determining argument as to what, which way we go here. Soft landing, no soft landing, no landing, however you want to formulate. Yep. All right. Good stuff. I'll see you in a few hours for your last yep. word. That's Mike Santoli, New York Stock Exchange. Coming up in our calls of the day, top picks and semi-stocks. The committee debating analyst calls. Do it next. Welcome back. Let's get to our call of the day. It is Deutsche Bank. They say the risk-reward of owning semi-stocks has improved after a big reset. Liz Young, you agree with them on that? Well, it's improved. We talked earlier in the show about the cyclical trade and people calling for a cyclical trade right now. We can't buy cyclicals, and I would put semis in this camp. We can't buy cyclicals until the cycle has reset, and that has not happened yet, in my opinion. I would wait on this a little bit. If we get another stab down in the market, though, that's when I would start buying semis. Joe, Lamb Research upgraded there, okay, to buy from hold. Target goes to 520 from 400. Micron downgraded. That's interesting to hold. The target goes 255 from 60. What do you think about both of those individual calls? Micron is cheaper. It's cheaper for a reason. I think the concern, and Micron has been pretty aggressive in expressing that they're going to reduce inventory, which is needed right now. The problem is, is that you've got this, this giant at Samsung that's actually expanding inventory and wanting to, to, to grow the footprint. I think that's going to that's gonna act as a headwind for Micron itself. Lamb Research, a little bit more expensive. I like that semi-equipment name. It's got a really durable balance sheet, and I think the valuation reset has occurred in this stock. That's a name that I would look at. Okay. Bryn, uh, Cowan says NVIDIA is their top pick for 23. Target to 220 from 200. You own it. 
Yeah, I like it. I mean, I own it. Obviously, I haven't sold it. I, I want to add more. I think it's too early. That being said, I mean, Lamb Research and NVIDIA's charts look identical, by the way, yet one has a 12 PE and one has a 70. I mean, these stocks have had a mount monster rally. I mean, NVIDIA is at 120. It's at 170. And so it's kind of interesting right here. If they stabilize, you know, this is a these are this is an area with Lamb and NVIDIA. I would be looking to add Lamb and add more NVIDIA next year, though. I think it's still too early. So I'm in Liz's camp of it's too early to take a meaningful position here. Weiss, agree with the ladies here too early or or would you take a look at some semi stocks that are at least on your radar? No, I wouldn't take a look at them. Surprising to you, Scott. Uh, <laughs> NVIDIA at 70 times earnings, semi-stock. Why would I own a semi-stock that's cyclical, and they've shown their cyclical, is uh, that's trading 70 times earnings? I, I just don't well, get Well, let me it. ask you this question, uh, it's then. It's nowhere near cheap enough. Since that was yep. too obvious an answer, obviously, sure. uh, for, for you. Yeah. So we know that smartphone demand is still good, right? Apple told us that. You have liked yep. some of their suppliers on the chip side in the past. So if you know that demand is still good, why wouldn't you at least take a look at some of the names that you have owned in the past? And if not now, when? Uh, six months or so. I, look, demand is still good, but it's only one part of their market. Skyworks, of course, has Corvo, unusually large. Yeah, well, Skyworks is, you know, at least 50 percent of their revenues comes from Apple which makes them, in a declining economic environment, their, their margins can be, uh, can be put under pressure. Uh, I just think it's too early. We still don't know how it's going to play out with China, with not being able to sell lots of our technology to China, number one. Number two, when people go back to work, you know, are we going to need more laptops? Are we going to need you know, more you know, semiconductor-powered equipment? I, I just don't think so. And you have irrational pricing, which, as Joe pointed out, with Samsung. So I'm not ready to go there yet. They do look cheap, but all they're trading at are what they've traded at historically, which are about 10 times earnings. And before you had the free money cycle, mm -hmm. that's where they were. So that's where they should hold out for a little while. Okay. Quick break. Final trades next. All right, overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern. MBF Clearing CEO Mark Fisher on exactly what's happening right now in the energy market, most importantly, how to trade it. Adam Parker with me, Dan Ives as well. New note on tech, his outlook for 2023. Victoria Green will be there. We also have earnings and a big one, Oracle. So I hope to see all of you a little bit later on. Brent, final trade, what do you got? Uh, speaking of energy, XLE, but wait, XLE looks like it's going to touch its 200-day moving average, which is around 80. It's at 84. Be patient. Wait for it to come down. And I think that will be a good entry point. Okay, good stuff. Thank you. Steve Weiss. I'm pressing Rivian. It was my final trade short on Friday. I shorted a little bit more today. And Liz, I'm happy to be the headliner on your podcast. Thank you, too. <laughs> I don't know. That phone call may never come, Weiss. You keep waiting by that phone, though, pal. <laughs> Liz, final trade. Short-term treasuries, particularly the two-year. I think you might see a little spike up on CPI and Fed comments, but then it starts to make its way down in yield into next year. All right, Joe T. I'm personally long in Joe T. Visa. Um, also along it, as I said personally, this is a resilient stock right. working out. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you in overtime. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1 Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.